this one, no, this one, I can feel it, I can see it. And it's a conversation going on in every family. I promise everyone watching this will say, goodness me, we've got a similar situation. It affects every family in this country. It's absolutely fundamental and it is gonna happen. Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing, and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Welcome to this week in review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, I haven't seen you so riled up about something since the good old Brexit days. You're expecting a bit of a crisis for that which shall not be named in British politics. It's even worse than criticizing the RNLI. It is, of course, the NHS. So what are you worried about? And, and especially, it's not just that you're worried about the NHS, it's that you're worried about Britain because of the NHS as well. Yeah, I mean, look, we've talked, you know, over the last few weeks about the growing inflation crisis, and there's been a lot of denials coming from governments and central banks. Oh, don't worry your little heads, it's all temporary. Um, and we've explained why, in many ways, it actually suits governments and central banks to have inflation because they borrowed so much money during the pandemic that inflation is the only way, realistically, of reducing the scale of that debt. But there's an even bigger crisis coming. Uh, we're seeing it already. And it is within the NHS. Now, I'm not actually suggesting that all of this is the NHS's fault, but our policy when the pandemic hit effectively was to empty the hospitals, send everybody back to the care homes, and of course we know the disaster that led to, uh, but we stopped doing a whole mass of operations, we stopped doing a whole mass of diagnostics, and we now find ourselves in, a, in an extraordinary position where the waiting list within the NHS for operations is a staggering 5.3 million operations behind. Within that, we have about a third of a million operations for cancer and serious heart conditions that just did not take place last year. On misdiagnoses, it's difficult to put a number on it. I mean, the Alzheimer's Society estimate 50,000 missed diagnoses of Alzheimer's last year. Uh, you know, if you logically knock that on to the other serious illnesses, I mean, goodness knows where we are. Now, I say it's not all the NHS's fault because this was government policy. You know, we are facing the new plague. We have to empty the hospitals. So where are we now? Well, there is no way the NHS can ever, and I mean ever, catch up with that 5.3 million backlog. It's literally impossible. We also, of course, have found ourselves with a population three to four million bigger than the government thought it was. You know, we were told there were three and a half million EU citizens in the country when nearly six million have registered to stay. That's just one example, let alone the illegal immigration situation where I think there's probably two million illegal immigrants now living in Britain. So we don't have the hospital capacity. It doesn't exist to cope with the current population even before this massive pandemic. And then add to that the extraordinary situation where dentists are paid per patient they see, NHS dentists. Under the legislation, NHS doctors are paid per consultation, which means they can sit on Zoom for as long as they want. You know, I mean, I even had a situation of a friend of mine uh, whose daughter is 18 months old and they were conducting a hearing test via Zoom. I mean, she's absolutely livid at the whole thing. 
So now what's happening is those that can afford it, or in some cases are even taking loans, are getting knee replacements, hip replacements, they're paying for it. My mother went in last week for a knee replacement, she paid for it. She's never gone private in her life, she's always relied right through her, her years on the National Health Service. We've even now got reports of heart patients paying up to 20 grand to have stents or, or heart operations of some kind. The two big private hospital groups, HCA and Spire, are doing 20% more um, cardiothoracic surgery than last year and 30% more neurology work, which is you know spinal injections, stuff like that. And that's happening without the Arabs and others who come into London from all over the world to use our private medical system because they can't come. They can't come because of travel restrictions. So a couple of things to sort of point out from this. Number one is there is a real danger here that our society divides into the haves and the have-nots in terms of health in a very dramatic way. And I think that's happening already. Um, and that is, <laughs> in terms of division, I mean, forget division over Brexit. You know, if we finish up with a health divide based on wealth in a country that for 75 years has believed in the universal provision of healthcare, that's a major problem. Um, I mean, don't forget, it was the NHS as much as anything that destroyed John Major's government back in the 1970s. So this is a looming political issue. It's a looming social issue. And once people can fly in easily from Saudi Arabia and elsewhere to come to London consultants, they will do so. So what's to be done? And clearly within the NHS itself, there are, in, there are inefficiencies. Everyone that works there says the same thing. You know massive layers of middle management, um, very often the left and right hand not knowing what the other is doing. <clears throat> and yet I don't see with Sajid Javid or Boris Johnson any radicalism at all. Because as soon as you start to say, we must change the way the NHS is run, oh, they all scream. You're gonna privatize the NHS. Um, you're going to, uh, you know, you're disrespecting the nurses and the doctors. And I've, I've done this myself. I've sat on question time and said, look, are we spending the money wisely? And I'm told you don't support the nurses. It's become this extraordinary non-debate that's gone on. So I don't think the government actually has the courage to deal with this. And I think it's got the potential to be, as I say, the most divisive social issue of modern times. What it means for the private sector is there is going to be a boom. In private medicine. Had a report of a friend in Essex the other day, had a leaflet through the door, um, come to our local hospital and get a private GP consultation for 80 quid. Well, you know what? You know, even if, you know, if you've got, if you're suffering, uh, you know, lack of peace of mind and you don't want to speak to somebody via a Zoom call, you'd like to actually see somebody, a lot of people will pay 80 quid. Now, it may well be, that all of our NHS GPs go back to the surgeries, but I just don't see it because they're very happy doing the job from home and being paid extremely well to do so. So I think there's going to be a really big boom in private medicine. I also, I also think that politically, the government is going to have to start using the private sector, you know, to say to one of the big providers, you know, can you do me 5,000 hip replacements? You know, otherwise these people are waiting for two years. If you're 80, you don't want to wait two years for a hip replacement. You, you know, you don't know how long you've got on this planet. And also the private sector can change and adapt far more quickly. 
Now, it's going to need some real thought. And we're going to, and there is a shortage of nurses and doctors. I'm pleased to say, by the way, that those going to university this year to do medicine are the highest number for years. And Exeter, for example, have got too many students coming to do medicine. And they're, they're actually offering people money to defer the course for a year. That's great, but that's a few years down the line before those people come on stream. We could, of course, take lots of foreign doctors and nurses, but then actually all we're really doing then, I'm afraid, is taking healthcare away from countries that probably need it even more than we do. Um, so I think there's gonna have to be a, a, a really radical plan that says, right, we're gonna go to as many retired nurses, surgeons, doctors as we can, give them some financial incentives to get back involved in the healthcare system, to try and get us out of this crisis. But to have that kind of flexibility, I don't think the NHS can do it. I don't think we have the hospitals. And the private sector moves much more quickly than the public sector to adapt to demand. So my prediction here is a, a huge boom in private medical provision within this country. And, and one of our jobs um, as an organization is to try and look for some investment opportunities within that. One of the things you mentioned when we were discussing this on Tuesday is a voucher system, which sort of yes. rang little bells in my head because that's the Milton Friedman, uh, Friedman free market solution. So I think that's uh, especially interesting. So maybe can you can you explain you know, the, the general idea behind this voucher system and why free market people tend to believe in it? Yeah, you know, you give somebody a voucher uh, for X amount of money uh, to cover the cost of your hip replacement. Um, and you find, I, you either find the NHS can do the operation or you go and shop out amongst the private providers. Um, many have argued for this within education as well. Uh, I do think it's possible, you know, that the government could do this. But as I say, my sense is, my sense is government will move slowly. But m you'll see more and more people saying, right, we're going to pay. You'll see more and more flights coming in from the Middle East of people wanting, you know, cancer care and all the things that they, frankly, in most cases, not been able to afford. Uh, because they can't get there for the last year. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see government go for a voucher system. But again, you know, that that will require fresh radical thinking. And the one thing we're not getting from Johnson's government is fresh radical thinking on anything. In the end, they'll be forced into this. In the end, they'll be forced into it. Uh, but I think it could be a very, very long, very difficult winter. And I think you'll see health stories dominating the front pages month after month after month. And I mean, God help us if we get a massive flu outbreak this year or something like that, or if this pandemic uh, was, was, was to come back in some form. So, you know, health has dominated the last 18 months of our lives, and it's gonna dominate the next 18 months, but in a slightly different way. This is the sort of thing you cover at UK Independent Wealth, that investment angle behind the story. And you're very convinced about this one, which is why you've asked Rob Marstrand to do some investigating of the healthcare options in the financial markets. For the viewers and the readers and the listeners at home, if you're interested in UK independent wealth and would like to find out some more, there'll be a link below this video. And like I said, we've asked Rob to have a look at what the options are in the financial markets to try and try and profit from this trend of the NHS trying to outsource some of this backlog to the private sector and also just generally the boom in private healthcare. Nigel, you've you've gone through all the, the questions I, I had for you uh, based on our discussion on Tuesday so quickly. One last thing that I want to ask you about is I never really understood this idea of, of saving the NHS because 
you know, they're there for the patients, which means that if, if you, you know, put the NHS on ice for any amount of time, you're just transferring really the, the care for one patient uh, to another. And given that we didn't have this you know, wave of, of hospitalization anywhere near as bad as it could have been or was predicted to be by some, it seems like we were in a, a problem of our own making that was just a, really just a public relations game of looking like we're doing something, which in, in this case was actually you know, less healthcare in the end, less healthcare for the people that needed it. So it seems to me like this is going to be a bit of a scandal as people realize that you, know, you can't just put the hospital system on ice um, for, for more than a year and expect there to not be a huge crisis at the end of it even if it does potentially solve some of the problems associated with the pandemic in the short term. Yeah, I mean, the, the NHS was set up to protect us, not the other way around. And somehow, somehow, as belief in the NHS became what the ex-Chancellor Nigel Lawson called the nearest thing to a state religion, um, Boris took that theme, you know, ask a focus group, is the NHS popular? Yes. Ah, right. Well, let's all clap. Let's all say it's absolutely marvellous. There are no problems whatsoever. Everything is simply great, but it's your responsibility to protect the NHS. It's a very, very odd concept. Um, but they kind of got away with it for a very, very long time. Um, and yes, we need to have a very, very cold, dare one say clinical look um, at the National Health Service, where it's succeeding, where it's uh, failing. And I, I also think, and this will make some people laugh, but... I also think we should look at France and Germany. Yes, I do, because France and Germany do public health better than we do. This myth during the pandemic that we're the only Western country with a healthcare system, it's just not the case. And there's no proper thinking on this. And if you look, for example, at heart, stroke, and cancer provision and care and outcomes, which is, the, if you think about it, the most important thing, the French do a lot better than we do, and they have a system with a fair bit of insurance built into it. And I remember talking about this on Question Time in about 2008. I mean, you'd have thought I was King Herod. You'd have thought I'd advocated the killing of the firstborn. Uh, I mean, it just, the, sort of, the wall of loathing and hatred that somehow I wanted to privatize the National Health Service. No, I wanted to make it more efficient. Um, I wanted to make it work better. I mean, in the Republic of Ireland, you know, it's 40 euros to go for a GP appointment. All right? I, I, I'm not proposing we do that, but maybe we should think about things. Maybe we should, for example, if we do get surgeries back, you know, someone books an appointment and doesn't turn up, maybe they should pay a fine for that. Maybe they should pay 10 or 15 quid for not bothering to turn up. Or we've got to start thinking differently. We cannot go on the way that we were. Our population has exploded. We've got a, a, a backlog in terms of operations that dwarfs what Blair inherited back in 1997. So this has the ability to, 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 to put pressure, even though he's got an 80 majority, it puts pressure on Boris Johnson in the most massive way. As I say, they will act slowly but in the end, if they want to get out of this, they're going to need to use the private system. They're going to need to outsource a huge number of medical procedures, screening and much else. And yes, Nick, I, I believe this is happening and going to go on happening. And I believe it 100 percent. You know, there are things in life that we all can think or we can say that we believe in and we're always prepared 
to think, well, we might be wrong. We might, you know, we might change our mind. Um, you know, the, the, the certainty on the 3.30 at Newmarket this afternoon might not be as good as we really thought it was. <laughs> but this one, no, this one, I can feel it. I can see it. And it's a conversation going on in every family. I promise everyone watching this will say, goodness me, we've got a similar situation. It affects every family in this country. It's absolutely fundamental and it is going to happen. Yeah, my own story is that my daughter's six-month health check was done over the phone, not even via Zoom. There was no video connection. At the end of the phone call, I actually said, well, when is this health check going to happen? And I was informed, we've just done it. Yeah. So uh, all the absurdities, like you say, are uh, influencing uh, and, and experiencing them every day. And like you say, all the, all the viewers and listeners and readers at home will be feeling that same effect. Nigel, thanks for joining me and everyone at home. Thanks for joining me as well.